Hey, friends. This episode is sponsored by Mood Plus, a company with a unique and ancient solution to modern stress. Some fascinating studies have happened in recent years that have shown the impact of beneficial microorganisms on mental health, specifically a bacteria called Mycobacterium vaccae. Basically, these microorganisms interact with our immune system and promote mental well-being as well as resilience to stress and anxiety. Normally, we would be exposed to this bacteria through contact with soil and mud. That's how our ancestors did it. But as society has grown and we've better understood disease, our efforts to combat the bad microbes have also reduced our contact with the good microbes. This is where Mood Plus comes on the scene, because they are on a mission to harness the natural power of these microorganisms in order to enhance health and well-being. If you're looking for a natural, research-backed way to impact your mental well-being and boost your mood, then give Mood Plus a try. The company is called Mood Plus, but it's spelled M-U-D with an umlaut over the U. So listen close for the website because I'm going to spell it all out for you. Visit mud-plus.com and use code TRYMUD at checkout for 15% off your first order. Again, that's mud-plus.com and use code TRYMUD at checkout for a 15% discount. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Having It All podcast, the show about what it takes to live an abundant, loving life. My name is Matthew Bivens, and each week I'm helping you get out of your head so that you can truly have it all. Let's do it. What's going on, everybody? Matthew Bivens here, and welcome to the Having It All podcast. Today's episode is a rebroadcast of a fantastic conversation that I had with Heather Gray. Heather's business and website are called Choose to Have It All. So you can probably see why I wanted to have her on the podcast. The reason why I love this episode and why I wanted to republish it for you is because the themes in this conversation are always relevant. We are talking about choice. We're talking about the fact that each of us can choose to experience life with love and abundance. Now, we do not always get to choose what happens to us in life, but we absolutely get to choose how we respond to it. And that's something that I personally am constantly reminding myself of, especially when circumstances are hitting me and the stuff is hitting the fan. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. It is amazing. Heather is awesome, and we really connect powerfully. Before we jump into it, I do want to say if you have a spare second, I would really love for you to hop over to iTunes and leave me a rating. It really just takes a couple of seconds and a few clicks, and it will help this show to reach new ears. So again, if you have a second, hop over to iTunes, leave a rating. I appreciate it. And with that, let's jump into the episode. My guest today is Heather Gray. Heather is an executive coach working with entrepreneurs and business leaders who have achieved that external success, you know, the great career, the fat bank account all the titles behind their name, but that success has come at the expense of their internal well-being. So what Heather does is she helps them have the lifestyle and the wealth that they want, but also the personal fulfillment that they truly desire. Now, what's cool is that Heather's business and website have a very familiar sounding name, which we'll get into in a second, 
And so with that, I am very excited to be chatting with Heather on this episode. Heather, how are you being today? Oh, I'm so good. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me. You are so, so welcome. Thank you for joining me and uh, hanging out for a little bit. And so I, I teased the name of your website in the intro, uh, but can you share it with us now? Sure. Uh, I built my life, my passion, and my business around the idea of uh, letting people know that they can have happiness in the life they want. They just have to choose it. So I called my business choose to have it all.com. Boom. <laughs> I think that is so cool. And it is very obvious that, you know, why you and I wanted to connect. Your website is called Choose to Have It All, and this podcast is called Having It All. So you and I are speaking on some, uh, some similar things, I imagine. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think, too, it's so important for people to recognize that it's possible for them, but that they have a role in that. And I think sometimes people think that having it all is just for the lucky rather than uh, a sort of an action response to the things that they've done. Hmm. So what does having it all mean to you? I think for me, having it all is a sense of well-being and balance uh, across a couple of areas in my life that personally, I'm feeling fulfilled in my relationships. Professionally, I'm feeling fulfilled, but I'm also living up to my potential. I think sometimes in my work life, that hasn't always been true. And so I've never felt totally complete professionally because I always felt like maybe I was holding my potential back. Um, and then I also think um, there's this internal sense of not only my relationships with other people, but the third part is that my relationship with myself is good. Like mm. I'm good with me and I can just do me and be good with that and where I'm at in addition to knowing what I'm working on next. Well, that's powerful. I love that you brought in that relationship to self. Yeah, I, I think it's key and I've talked about it on the show and it's just, I think it starts there. You know, I, I believe that you can... What you can, you know, the, the extent to which you can love yourself is the extent to which you can love other people. I also think, too, that it's about accepting yourself and your limit, your limitations a little bit, too. Right. It's not just like, oh, I accept this. I accept that. Um, but also, too, like for me, I know, for example, I'm a natural crier. Like I'm going to be the person who cries at a Hallmark commercial. I'm going to be <laughs> the person who cries every holiday thinking about the people who've passed away in the years before that I'm never going to share another holiday table with. And I can either get mad at myself and be like, wow, you're such an emotional mess or, hey, I'm a natural born crier and that comes with the picture. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. That acceptance is so huge. So huge. So how did you get into this type of work? Were you, did you go to school for this stuff or did... did, did uh, I... Yeah, it's actually been a bit of a long road. Um, I started my clinical training is as a clinical social worker. And I kind of, since I was 20, 21 or so, I had always said that I was going to go into program management in residential treatment facilities, which are like homes and programs for adolescent girls and boys who struggle in the community. They can't get it right at home. Usually their stories come with tons of trauma, tons of uh, trials and tribulations. And I had gone into program management thinking that that's really what I wanted to do. And I did that for about 10 years until I hit burnout. Um, and then that's when I made a move to kind of working one-on-one -on -one with adults on their own personal development achievements and life goals. Now, why the topic, you know, why, why work with people uh, on how, personal development? Um, I think it's because I, having worked with so much with trauma and working with so much with kids who awful things had happened to, one of the things that I ended up learning about is that the kids who kind of made it, the kids who showed resilience were the kids who decided this isn't how my story's going to end. It doesn't end here. I'm going to learn what I need to learn. I'm going to learn how to act better. I'm going to learn how to talk better. Mm. And so what I, I really kind of came to is that I think there was a lot of, in the clinical 
medical movement and in the private practice mental health movement, it's, oh, you're depressed. Oh, you've been traumatized. Oh, this awful thing has happened to you. And my perspective has never been life happens to you. It's life happens to everyone. So what are you going to do about it? And I had to say that to an eight-year-old girl and a 14-year-old boy. And at some point, I think we stopped telling that to adults. And I, I was kind of the rogue therapist for a while in private practice before I moved into online coaching saying, okay, all these awful things happen to you, but uh, what are you going to do about it here? Because you still have choices. And that passion and that belief that you can build a life regardless of what's happened to you has just kind of gotten stronger and more clear and more centered for me the longer I've been talking to people. That's awesome. That's so, so, so big. I think when it comes to choosing to have it all is understanding that life serves you up circumstances and you get to choose how you want to respond to them. And I, I just, and it's I, so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that people sort of say that often enough because I think what ends up happening, and it's funny because you, you kind of have to find your tribe, right? You have to find the people who believe in this and who agree with you because if they don't agree with you on it, they're never going to change in the first place. But it's this idea of like, as soon as you buy into this message, no matter what the heck has happened to you, you're not a victim anymore. You have a choice in like what you can do next and you can survive way more easily when you're the one who's decided this isn't how my story ends. I don't like where I'm at right now, so I'm going to pivot. Um, I just I think that's where that awareness is where I've seen the most lives have the most change. Mm. Yeah, that, that victim stuff is real. You know, it's it's like I feel like just it's reinforced in a lot of of things that we see on you know in today and media and things like that. Uh, the concept of somebody being a victim or well, being yeah. you know the abuser abuser. Absolutely. And you run the risk if you're sort of being the one who's saying, so what are you going to do about this? Okay, you fell on the sidewalk. Are you going to get back up? I think sometimes those questions um, get seen as callous, as as insensitive and invalidating. But that's not really what it's about. It's, hey, you fell on the sidewalk, but hey, I'm right here. Here's my hand. Take my hand. We'll get up. We'll walk together. We just saw it uh, this week in the Olympics. I don't know if you caught that clip of the I two did. women in uh, the one of the 100-mile dashes or something, and they fell on top of each other, and they both picked each other up and kept going. They didn't stay down. And I think that so much about having it all is validating the fall. And I think sometimes people forget that part, that nobody in the story right now is saying, well, crap, these girls lost out on their medal. That sucks. And I think that in life, we have to do that part. We have to say, oh, God, man, you fell. I'm so sorry. That's so hard. You really worked hard and you didn't get where you wanted. But once you do that part, the having it all part is let's get back up and figure it out. And they did. And now they've inspired so many people in that moment of getting back up. Yeah, I totally remember that 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 moment. And it's definitely you know, it's one of those Olympic moments that stands out, but it's great that you can connect it to a, a bigger, a bigger message. And when you were talking, you made me think of a personal example that I'm going to bring up. And actually, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, and it's, again, this is personal to me and, and a circumstance that I'm right now experiencing with my family, specifically with my, my, young, my youngest sister. We had a conversation two days ago about this. So what would you say to somebody who feels as if they you know, are, are, are victim to life, life happened to them. And in order for them to feel supported, they wanted the other people to enroll in that victim mentality with them. That's how they would feel supported. How would you <laughs> handle or approach that situation? I think the first step I do is I say, hey, I know you want to rescue right now. I know your story is that this has happened and this has happened and you've been through this and you shouldn't have to fight anymore. That's getting through it and still living and still surviving that you did your business like and now it's someone else's turn to hold your hand and drag you through life. And I know you want that and that makes sense to me. But if I give you that, all I'm doing is making you dependent on me and you're not building your life. You're just building an additional crutch that you need to get through life. And so if you fall again, you're there again. 
And I don't want that for you. I don't want you to be down on the ground falling because the next time you fall, if I don't rescue you right now, you're going to know how to get back up. Wow. <laughs> uh, don't have, I don't have much to say cause that, well, I'm going to, I'm going to encourage my, uh, my family to listen to that portion because yeah, that whole concept of, of feeling like someone needs to be rescued. I mean, I've been there, you know, I've, I've, uh, hit my head on the concrete and then wanted somebody to, to pick me up, dust me off, patch me up and make sure that I didn't do it again. And then when I did do it again, I looked to them like, where are you? You didn't come and rescue me a second time. Hey friends, this episode is sponsored by Mood Plus, a company with a unique and ancient solution to modern stress. Some fascinating studies have happened in recent years that have shown the impact of beneficial microorganisms on mental health, specifically a bacteria called Mycobacterium vaccae. Basically, these microorganisms interact with our immune system and promote mental well-being as well as resilience to stress and anxiety. Normally, we would be exposed to this bacteria through contact with soil and mud. That's how our ancestors did it. But as society has grown and we've better understood disease, our efforts to combat the bad microbes have also reduced our contact with the good microbes. This is where Mood Plus comes on the scene because they are on a mission to harness the natural power of these microorganisms in order to enhance health and well-being. If you're looking for a natural, research-backed way to impact your mental well-being and boost your mood, then give Mood Plus a try. The company is called Mood Plus, but it's spelled M-U-D with an umlaut over the U. So listen close for the website because I'm going to spell it all out for you. Visit mud-plus.com and use code TRYMUD at checkout for 15% off your first order. Again, that's mud-plus.com and use code TRYMUD at checkout for a 15% discount. Hey friends, this episode is sponsored by Factor, my go-to source for delicious and ready-to-eat meals. I love the work that I do, and I can find myself following an idea or a project for hours at a time, and then realize that I haven't eaten in a while. It's in those moments that I'm so grateful for Factor. First off, their meals are fresh, chef-crafted, and ready to eat, which means I don't have to spend time prepping, cooking, and cleaning up. I just get to enjoy the food. Second, since there are over 35 different meal options each week, I never get bored. I can choose from Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto, and more which is great because Sarah and I have very different tastes and now we don't have to compromise as much in the kitchen. And then there are the add-ons, which include things like pancakes, smoothies, and more. Basically, Factor has you covered through the entire day. Overall, we have found so much value in Factor. And if you're like us, then Factor might be the perfect solution for you if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Head to factormeals.com slash havingitall50 and use code havingitall50 to get 50% off. Again, that's code havingitall50 at factormeals.com slash havingitall50 to get 50% off. And then you're constantly longing and yearning and searching and you're in this like empty whole place of scarcity mentality where I'm not going to get my needs met because I need other people. If you can kind of tune into your capability and what it is that you know and what you've learned and then you get back up, you did that your damn self. And then like you've got that in your back pocket. You know, one of the things that I always kind of go to is that professionally, I've always been pretty good. I, I don't pretend uh, to take that for granted, that I have a talent with words. I have a talent with communicating. Um, and I, I know that that kind of thing comes easy for me. I was the one who got A's in high school in psychology and English, and I got the C's in uh, biology and math. I've known <laughs> that since the beginning of time. But when I get scared and when I get anxious, I remember the night in a residential treatment center when it felt like there were more 
kids than adults and there were more kids acting out than adults and they rioted on us and it was super scary and I had to lead that situation and manage adults and manage the other scared kids. That happened, Matthew, that must have happened like at this point in my career, it must have happened 12 years ago. I still go, hey, that was my worst night ever. It's mm. not that bad right now. Wow. And I lean on it. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, it's yeah, like you, I, you made it through that, you can make it through the next, you know, challenge that, that, that you come up against. And I don't think people use their challenges that way. Life happens to all of us. It sucks for all of us. And at times, not all the time, some people get were, you know, dealt like heavier cards in life than some some other people. But at some point in time, we're all challenged. And I think sometimes once a challenge happens and we've survived it or we've gotten over it, we go, whew, whew, never again. And they don't recognize that that thing you just survived is now your biggest skill set in your toolbox. Yeah. You now know how to get through the thing that two weeks ago you didn't know how to get through. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one thing I've, I've experienced personally is that, um, you know, I'm, I'm big on my own personal development and on my own uh, journey for healing and for growth. And what I found is that life will serve up something for me and it'll look like the biggest mountain I've ever had to climb and it looks impossible. And then I climb it. And then I have that experience, like you said, where I'm like, whew, I made it. And then life serves up an even bigger one. You know, it's like, okay, you're playing this big game, this, this big uh, growth and healing game. So it just keeps serving up bigger and bigger mountains and being able to look back and be like, you know what? I scaled that mountain before that I thought was impossible. I can scale this one. That for me has been a huge tool yes. to have in my in my pocket. Absolutely. And I would just add one more thing to that, that in between mountains, it's okay to look at the next one and go, are you kidding me again? <laughs> yeah. And I think sometimes when people like us send the message to people like your family of like, come on, like this isn't like we're not in our past anymore. This isn't still happening to us. We can get past this. And you, you like you're sending that message of positivity. They don't hear that validation. But if you go and it's not fair that you have to do it again and you don't want to do it again, but not wanting to do it again doesn't mean you can't do it again. I still think you have to embrace the suck a little bit. I heard that on a podcast uh, with uh, Michael O'Neill the other day. Hmm. Um, and it's this idea that like at some point in time, you have to embrace the suck. And I think that that's how we connect to people who don't necessarily instinctively think like us. Yeah. And I know for me, sometimes I've come off across as um, lacking empathy. And so, yes. you know, being able to embrace that suck is is huge. It's huge. You just don't live there, right? Like you say, yeah, this sucks, but we're, we're getting up now, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So tell me a bit about some of the challenges that your current coaching clients come to you with, the people who have the, the, you know, the, the, the success sure. on paper but are feeling like they're lacking something inside? I, I think that one of the, the kind of to put a frame on all of this is I, and I, I think I was raised with this belief too, that if you climb the ladder, whatever ladder you're on, and you can be a blue collar worker wanting to own your own shop or you can want to be a CEO. I've, I've worked with a lot of people in different professionals, but it, it's sort of this message is, is if you just do what you need to do, if you just hustle, you get to the top, that's having it all. And a lot of times what I find is I'm working with these senior managers, mid managers or CEOs of companies or solopreneurs who are owning their own business and kind of doing things like I'm doing. Um, they get that and they get to that final rung, but then they suddenly are hearing from their spouses like you're never home or they're hearing from your their kids like, why are you coming to this basketball game? You never went to any of my others in the past two years. So they find that their relationships are struggling. That's probably, I'd say, 70% of what like attributes to people figuring out that they're not happy. Is that a relationship in their life is sort of in crisis or they're not in a relationship because all they've done is build their life and they don't have it. So they get to that top rung of the ladder. They have a glass of champagne and they're looking left and right and there's nobody to celebrate with. I've yeah. certainly gotten my fair share of calls around that. But the main thing is um, 
people think that the success will equivalent to a successful relationship and it just doesn't even out that way. You know, it's, it's like that. It's just, it's something we've all heard so many times, right? That if you, uh, if you place your happiness on things externally, you're going to be left feeling disappointed. And we've read it for most of our professional careers. I imagine, I mean, the people that you coach, they are intelligent people. Like they've heard this stuff before. Why do you think it is that people just have to experience it as opposed to saying, you know what, I remember reading that blog article where someone said, make sure that you are you know, creating your happiness internally so that you can deal with anything. Like, why doesn't that message just sink in? Matthew, it's my story that they're not reading those articles. Really? It's my story that they're so focused on work because they're told that if you're successful, you have it all. So they're reading the articles on how to interview more effectively and in less time. They're reading the articles on how to get that next promotion, how to negotiate your salary, how to nail that lead, how to make a cold call. And their story is, is that by being successful, people will like them. And that that's what's good. That's their selling point, that it's not about who they are personally. It's about if I'm successful, that's why people will want to be around me because people want to be around successful people. Hmm, Okay, so you're saying that they may not even be aware of that other conversation. Not at all. That's more often than not. That's what I the first conversation I'm having with people is to sort of say, are you aware like you're okay? so your wife or your husband has come to you and sort of said, I'm not happy in this marriage. And you're turning around and saying, well, what do you mean? I just took you to Malibu and you don't like that BMW that's sitting in the driveway. What are you talking about? You're not happy. And I the first question I say is if I were to ask you what your partner needs, what are the three emotional needs they need on a regular and consistent basis in order to feel seen and taken care of by you. It's dead air every, like nearly every single time because they they've checked off the list of I've brought in the money. They have the nice car. They can go on vacation. We got our kid a special, you know, premium membership to a special summer camp this summer. What more do they want? And I think that the problem is, is they haven't learned that there's value in being present because in their professional life that doesn't equal dollars. So what's the point? So they don't equate in their personal lives that just showing up on time for dinner, asking how your day was listening, and then asking a follow-up question has any value because nobody cares about that when you're at work. Yeah, that's very true. Or at least that's not something that's measured at work, you know, no, it's, or, it's, yeah. or appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. yeah appreciated. You know, it, it is interesting though, as you said that, um, it reminded me of my own experience. Um, my parents got divorced when I was about 10 years old and I lived with my mom and we would see my dad, um, you know, like the typical arrangement every other weekend he would, he would have us. And I remember for, for years growing up that one of the ways my dad showed his love for us was by purchasing us things. So when we would go to his house, we'd have the new video game or, you know, he would take us out to dinner and he would spend his money on us and he would show us that's how he loved us. And it wasn't until years later um, when I was, you know, I had grown up a little bit and I had really reflected on those things that I shared with him that all I wanted was your time. I didn't want the things. I just wanted your time. And, you know, it took it, he was maybe 60 years old when the first time he heard that and the first time it sunk in. So I, I get what you're saying where people just. They aren't having that conversation about, you know, what truly is important. And I I think that so much of it is, is because they spend so much time developing their professional lives. They don't develop their personal sort of sense of self and personality and who they are and who they bring to a relationship. So they don't know that they think their value is in what they can provide. And that it's like eye opening, like, really, you want to spend time with me? And it's almost like shocking because they don't see themselves as valuable. They don't hold themselves in that kind of esteem as somebody that somebody else would want to spend time with. Hmm, That's a really interesting way to look at it. You know, the the self-value piece, like, are they worthy of somebody else's love? 
I used to hate that stupid expression that nobody can love you until you love yourselves. You know, I used to think that was like a victim <laughs> stance and like all you're doing is blaming the victim. Like, wow, you've been traumatized and now you have to love yourself because you've been traumatized in order for anybody else to love you. Mm. And I used to kind of get on my high horse about that. But the more I live in this world and have these conversations with people that it really is, you have to know that you're valuable to other people in order to like be able to be present for other people because if you don't think you have anything to offer you're creating a ton of other stories that make no sense and make it really hard for you to connect to the other person i like how you keep bringing up the word story because i that resonates with me i get that you know the stories that we make that we we create we then just play on repeat in our heads and then we that becomes our reality so I'm, I'm happy you bring that up because I think for the people listening, it's a it's a it's something that they can grasp onto. Like, what story am I creating that is resulting in this experience I'm having right now? Absolutely. And the way I kind of explain it to people is when someone says something, does something or doesn't say and doesn't do something, we create a story about it. So, for example, if you know, like you, you know, you make a nice dinner for your wife and she doesn't say thank you. You can create a story about that, that she didn't even notice the extra effort. She doesn't really care um, when, in fact, she might have just been so grateful to have that dinner taken off her list and to be able to get 10 seconds of relaxation that she went and took those 10 seconds of relaxation rather than having that conscious moment of thanking you. It doesn't mean she's ungrateful. She might have just forgotten to say it. Uh, very true. So true. And, you know, I know for me, my ego kicks in real quick if I extend myself or if I make myself vulnerable and I don't get the response or I don't get the action back that I was expecting. Like it's so easy for uh, that, that story to just start to be created right then. I absolutely I, I think the the same is true for me. I I find it too sometimes that um, it the way it translates for me is because I tend to be thoughtful and because I tend to be insightful when people aren't thoughtful towards me or when they don't seem to know or understand me. My story is, is why is it that I'm always doing more for other people than they're doing for me when in actuality, when I have those really kind of raw personal conversations with people, it's not that they're not thinking of doing anything for me. It's not that they're selfish. It's that they think I've got it because I present as so confident and capable um, that the story I'm sending out to them is I don't like almost I don't need you. I've got it. That part of getting my needs met in relationships means I have to be vulnerable and say out loud I have them rather than expecting other people to read my mind and know that. Mm. Yeah, that communication piece and just being bold enough to say what you want and sort of releasing what happens after that. Every single time it's you know, anytime there's a conflict in a relationship, the first thing I tell people and the first thing I try to teach people is tell the person what you want them to think. Because so often we don't say something because we're worried about how it's going to be taken or we don't quite know how to say it. But if you just simply say out loud, hey, I did this nice thing for you, I kind of like I'd hope that you, you know, would have acknowledged it or said thank you. And my feelings are hurt that you didn't. That opens up the dialogue for somebody to say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. My head was in 50 million different places. But you have to tell the person what you want them to think and say it out loud before any of that gets worked out. Hmm. So I noticed that when I was looking at your site, like a lot of your, your content, your blog content, at least what I was seeing, was about relationships and just kind of like what you, you described. So what, what has been your history with the primary relationships um, in your life, in your past? Because it seems like that is a something that comes out, you know, right now for sure. you. Sure. Um, I, I'm married. Um, my husband's name is Damon. And we've been uh, together since 2003. And we got married in 2009. Um, and he's certainly my primary relationship. And he's my primary support. We've been through a lot together. Um, he suffered a spinal cord injury two years into our relationship. So he was, um, at the time when I met him, he was quite active and able to walk, run and, and do, um, a bunch of other things. And he was in an accident, uh, 
suffered a spinal cord injury and now he requires a wheelchair. Um, so life handed us a huge challenge. Um, yeah. and now we're going back like 10 years ago, so it's, it doesn't feel so recent anymore, but, um, that's certainly been like the cornerstone of how I've learned to, um, navigate relationships and to make them more real and understandable for people. Um, I also, I'm close to my sister and I, my parents as well. And I have a, a small core group of, uh, friends that I really heavily rely on as well. Yeah. So relationships are big for you. Yeah, I, I think they, yeah, absolutely. And I think they're big for a lot of people. I feel like if our relationships are good, we're good. When relationships are in crisis, it's just kind of distracting. I always tell people work can be good so long and you can have a hard time in your personal life. But if your personal life and work are in conflict at the same time, that's when it, it gets bubbly. But yeah, I think that people really um, find that whatever level of relationships they want, because I certainly know a lot of these people who call me, um, they're not looking for like a long-term, uh, committed relationship that a romantic relationship or marriage isn't necessarily considered something they're cornerstone in their own lives, but they want to be good with people and have people be good with them. Um, nobody wants to be an Island at the end of the day, however close they want to be to other people. That's usually personal preference. Mm. Oh, that's powerful. So getting back to your, your coaching, I'm curious, you know, I feel like some of the best coaches are the people who've been there, like they've been there, they've done that and they can steer their, their clients past, um, landmines. So I'm curious, what makes you qualified to coach people on choosing happiness and to coach people on, on having I, I it think all? I've, yeah, I think I've, it's a fair question. And I'm really glad you asked it. Cause I think in this land of like online coaches, we can just sort of assume, Oh, everybody's a coach. Everybody's doing it. And I absolutely bring the chops, um, on a couple of levels clinically. I, you know, I've done my time and I, I have the experience to mark off. But, um, when I, I mentioned earlier that I started residential, um, with the hope of working in management, I decided that when I was sitting on top of a jungle gym, when I was 21 years old, working with a kid who was refusing to get down, getting him off the jungle gym and doing what he was supposed to do. Um, and I kind of thought I was always going to be a program manager. I worked my way up a ladder in that residential program for 10 years and I got to the top of the ladder and I hated it. Mm -hmm. And nobody prepared me for that. Nobody said, Hey, when you decide what you want to be, when you grow up, you're going to get to the top and you might find out you're wrong. <laughs> Um, and it was, it was soul crushing, um, because I'd worked so hard and I had so confidently decided at the cocky age of 21 that I knew <laughs> what I wanted. Um, and that like my life was set. Um, and I, I had to pivot two years. I, you know, I worked 10 years, uh, get to the top. I became a program manager and I tried to give it my all for two years and, it just didn't make me happy. And I, I had to pivot. And that's when I, I started a brick and mortar private practice. And I really loved being my own boss. I loved being in control of my schedule. I loved the switch that happened when I was in private practice from working with people who were mandated by other people to see me to people who could just knock on my door when they were ready to see me and wanted to see me. Um, so professionally, that's kind of how that happened. But also personally, like I mentioned, you know, earlier, um, I was two years into my relationship with my boyfriend when he was hurt and suffered a spinal cord injury. And I had to re-choose whether or not I still wanted a life with him, whether or not I wanted a life as, you know, the partner of somebody in a wheelchair living with disability, whether or not I wanted that part of my life, because I couldn't just say, oh, I'm dating this person. He suffered this injury. Now this has happened to me. I kind of, I had to rechoose it. I had mm. to say, no, okay, life happened, but this is my life right now. And yes, I still want it. And I think those moments of introspection are, are so scary for people. And I, I certainly remember being scared, um, several times on this journey, but having gotten to the other side and making the decisions I needed to make to have the life I've wanted, I, I do it all over again. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it is one of those great things when you are faced with that fear, when you're faced with that thing that makes you incredibly uncomfortable and you move through it, you can look back on that journey, you know, whether it was something that happened in a day or a week or 10 years and be like, man, it was all worth it. It was all so worth it. Well, without it, I wouldn't have become the person I am right now. And I, I think sometimes that's the other part of self-acceptance is that like you have to like yourself, you have to like your life. But at some point in time, what's that like elevator summary you're going to make about like why something had to happen or what you learned from it? What's the takeaway? Um, and I think sometimes people are so afraid to to look at that takeaway. Um, and, but when I realized that I had spent 10 or 10 years working at a job that ultimately wasn't going to be what I wanted to be when I grew up, it was the worst breakup ever. Um, but then recently when I wanted to sort of be bolder and dream bigger and reach more people by creating an online business instead of a brick and mortar private practice. Suddenly it was like, I was able to remember, well, you've done this before. Mm. Like you pivoted, you made a switch and it turned out great for a while. Maybe this new gig of yours and this new dream will turn out equally great. Yeah. Yeah. You're able to, to look at that experience and you know, you'd, tucked it away in your pocket and you could pull it back out and say, yeah, I've done it before. Or I've done something that at the time felt like, you know, the hardest challenge in my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned when you were going through that, um, your professional journey, the, the 10 years to get to the top of your ladder, you get to the top, you realize it wasn't what you wanted. You realize that it just did not align, but you, you kind of grunted it out for two years. What sort of things bubbled up for you? You know, what 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 bubbled up in terms of conflicts and other areas of your life? Because your career and, you know, you following your passion or your dream was out of alignment. Um, well, the, the first way I figured it out is I was crying every Sunday night before I had to go to work. Um, it, it just, it didn't sit well with my soul anymore, so to speak. Um, I, it was also, I think it was hard for my husband at the time to be supportive of me going in, uh, day in and day out. Um, when I wasn't happy. Um, and I think that we, we all create this loop and I, I'm sure your listeners and you might even resonate with this too. Like, so I'd be crying on a Sunday before going to work and then I'd have some awesome kid moment on a Wednesday and I'd be like, Oh, that's why I'm here. Yeah. Like, of course I need to stay. And then on Friday I was so thankful the week was over and it was a weekend and I was in a good mood because I'd have two days off. And then on Sunday night, the Sunday blues would hit and I I'd be in it again. And when you do that enough, um, you just realize something needs to change. Now, the funny part of that is, is my job was so stressful and kind of ridiculous and crazy that I, there was no way I was going to figure out what I really wanted. So the only reason why I even ended up in private practice is because I had the clinical license in Massachusetts that made it so I could do that. So I could put up a shingle. And my intention was, I'm just going to do this for now. And then I'm going to figure it out. And I had no idea how much I was going to love being my own boss. And I think so many times, like that's another lesson I've learned. And how do you make these choices is that you don't have to know the forever step. And that's the difference between the job I was in when I was in residential and where I'm at now is I'm just looking at what's next, not not what's forever. And I can pivot at any time. And I think that's a way people can choose to have it all when they're not putting this pressure on themselves to know the final answer and the end goal. Um, you know, when they're 30, when they're 35, you know, when they're 55, it's, this is just what's next. This is what I want right now. And, and that's, that's the huge takeaway. Wow. So in, in, in this, in your story, Getting to that point, like what what was it that basically the the straw that broke the camel's back between the two years at that career and then you moving into your private practice? Was it a a gradual transition or was it like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I'm leaving. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You know, it's funny. Um, I have a dear girlfriend, and when she and I were, uh, oh gosh, we were young, uh, early 20s, we used to sit and have these like long conversations after work. Um, and our work was like second shift, so we'd get out at like 11 o'clock at night. And we developed this sort of mantra is you'll know when you know, and you can analyze it forever. Um, you can go into analysis paralysis, but at some point in time, you'll just know. Yeah. Um, and my, I was leading the program at the time. I was going through that cycle of Sunday blues, Wednesday, it's okay, Friday weekend. Um, and I, I just had a moment where um, I was in a position where I wanted to do a family event. And I suddenly was like, oh, I've already juggled the on-call schedule twice. I can't ask somebody to cover my call again. I don't think I'm going to be able to go. And I just, I decided, I think in that moment, I, you know, this, I, I need to change. Yeah. Wow. And how did you muster the courage to make that change? Because I know that there is someone listening who's in that position right now, like, they they feel all the all the, the factors are there, all the reasons it does, you know, their career, whatever it is, their maybe it's their relationship. It doesn't align with who they are and what they're about, but they're just missing that that little bit of courage to get over the hump. How the first you, thing I did. Yeah, yeah the first thing I did is I cried my eyes out. Um and I grieved it. And I, I think I, I gave myself permission to be wrong and I gave myself permission to start new. And I, I think that I told myself that I have a choice. I can be unhappy crying about a job I don't like, or I can be unhappy because I'm scared that I don't know what's next. I have to choose my unhappy. One has no end point. I'm unhappy at this job. It looks like I'm going to stay unhappy at this job. The next one is, well, I'm unhappy because I'm scared and I'm nervous and I'm doubting myself and I don't really know how to run my own business. I've never done it before, but that has an end date at some point because I can learn. Or if I'm wrong, I'll just be out of the residential long enough to be able to get a new job. Oh, that's that's an amazing, I think, shift in in how to view that situation. You have to choose your unhappy sometimes, I think, too. Like, I had to not only choose happiness, but sometimes you just have to choose your pile of suck, which sucks less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's real, right? Because sometimes all you can see is the pile of suck. You're just so in it. You're like, I, I can't see anything else. Like, this pile sucks. That pile sucks. This one sucks even more. And so, yeah. you know, it's... It 
And where am I, you know, what's going to get me out of this the fastest? But the whole time it has to be this awareness that like I can get myself out of this. And I, I think that, you know, when you talk about how'd you get here, I think one of the things I probably don't give myself enough credit for or I don't really pay attention to very often um, because I don't really identify with it as part of my core story. I think a lot of times my core story has been about like leaving the residential job after recognizing it wasn't what I wanted to be when I grew up and having a relationship with someone who has a spinal cord injury, mm. but my mom died when I was six years old. Um, and, um, I was born with a cleft palate and I was kind of the sick kid who always, you know, I got uh, viral spinal meningitis when I was a young kid and half of that, I remember my mom dying of course, but I don't remember being sick and I don't really remember the cleft palate operations, but I think by the time I, you know, was in college, I'd already survived a lot. I'd already done a lot of life and I was still standing and I still had talents and things that I was good at. Um, and I, I think sometimes when, you know, I'm just thinking as you asked me this, that I, I probably don't give that foundation enough credit in mm. terms of how did I come out fighting? And I, I'm sure that's part of it. Well, what's cool about that moment, you know, the moment that uh, we just had was that you're somebody who I believe is very introspective, who's done a lot of, of deep diving internally. And the fact that even you have things in your past that are part of a story that you weren't recognizing is powerful for people to hear. Because I think that, you know, it might be easy for someone to look at you or someone to look at me hosting this podcast and be like, oh, well, they, they've, you know, they, they talk the talk, so they must walk the walk all the time. But you're, you know, you're sharing that, yeah, you even overlook things at times. Absolutely. I didn't even know until, um, I guess maybe the past five years or so ago, how introverted I am, oh. um, that I'm somebody who gets my energy, uh, by being alone. I don't think that I've always known that I've liked alone time. I've always known that like I was the person who never had an issue uh, going to a movie by myself. Um, I lived alone before my relationship for like eight years. I think I was living alone um, and I loved every second of it. And there's this <laughs> part of me that could still like, if you know, I had my truest wish, have a secret apartment somewhere that I could go and uh, <laughs> escape to whenever I wanted, even though I'm, you know, happily married. I don't, Nobody ever gave me words for that. And then yeah. a couple of years ago, I read Susan Cain's book on uh, quiet and um, learned more about people who are introverts. And I had like a collection of those qualities that I knew about myself, but I had never had like a word for it where I was like, wow, I'm introverted because I'm not shy. I, I'm sitting here having this conversation with you and I, it's lighting me up. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in my zone and I'm having a lot of fun talking to you. But I never realized that in order to be this animated and tuned into my passion, I also need downtime and time by myself. It's only been the past couple of years that I've realized I can't be lit up unless I've also had some downtime by myself. It's so important to know what you need to, to recharge, you know, to be aware like, oh man, I'm feeling a little bit depleted. I need to do X, Y, and Z because I know that's what helps me to, to get back up. And what I, I also want to put an asterisk on that. Like, it's a healthy thing that you're doing. It's not, I need to go turn to this drink or I need to go turn to this substance. What you're, yes. what you're referring to is something healthy. Yes, absolutely. But the thing is, Matthew, that's the part where people don't always understand that part. Mm. So when I, you know, when I tell somebody that like, oh, yes, I'm technically free on Friday. I can technically do lunch with you but I don't want to meet you for, uh, you know, a little bit of day drinking in the middle of the day. I'd actually prefer to be by myself. I, that, that's where it gets tricky that it's, it affects relationships. And I think sometimes that conflict with our needs and how they impact our friendships, our personal relationships or relationships with family. I think that's a lot of the reasons why people stop tuning into their needs because their needs create conflict for other people. What's interesting about you saying that is I agree, hundred percent agree. But what it, what it, what it, what I think is interesting is if you, you know, you're in a relationship and you don't take your needs into account you know, on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, 
at some point, it's going to come up to the surface. At some point, it's going to be a huge conflict, the fact that you haven't been taking your needs into account. And I, I, Absolutely. It, yeah. And I, th- I think that's how it happens for people, yeah. that they end up in these they end up in these relationships and they're suddenly in conflict and that's when they realize needs aren't getting met um, because they've just, they've denied that they needed it. You know, I, I've worked recently with a man who was really into, I always like laugh about this, but I don't know if you know about like the pan mass challenge, the huge bike ride. That's a, like a fundraiser on the East coast. I don't know, even know how many days it goes on, but cool. every year somebody ends up in my office because of that stupid bike challenge, because <laughs> people don't know how to talk about why that's really important to them. Why exercise really matters. Why gym time or training time or rock climbing time, CrossFit time, like, you know, you know, fill in the blank there, um, is important to them and their spouse doesn't understand. So they just back off and they say, I don't need to do that bike race. I'll just send in my check. That's good enough to support these people. It doesn't have to be me, but then a year and a half later, they're unhappy in the relationship and they haven't made the connection that it's because like, wow, bike riding used to be really important to you. You used to be a racer. You used to light up bike riding, but because you didn't want to have the fight, you stopped saying it out loud and now here you are at the top of the ladder where you have eight weeks paid vacation every year and you don't know what the heck to do with yourself because you gave up bike riding so long ago you forgot it's a thing you like. Yeah. Yeah, it's so important to to honor yourself and your your things that you want to experience and the things that you feel you need. And And to be able to say it out loud rather than giving it away. Yeah, yeah. Well, I am um I'm looking at the time and I want to ask you a question. Are you comfortable with going over a couple extra minutes cuz there's something I wanted to ask you and it it'll go past sure, the 40 abso- minute mark. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, awesome. Um so getting back on you and your introspection and your ability to deep dive. Um I've talked on this show about something called an epic challenge and it's come up in a number of episodes and essentially an epic challenge is an area in your life where you currently feel stuck. You know, you feel stuck. You're not getting the results that you want. You're not having the understanding that you want. Um, And it can be in any type of area of your life. It can be in love and relationships or career or friendships or wherever. Um, So my question for you is, is what is your current epic challenge? And I challenge you to go deep on it and to share with us something that, you know, really is that it's, it's, it's big and it's it's something that uh, is hitting you at the core right now. Yeah, I, I it's actually not hard to dig deep because it's been bothering me for a while. But I feel like I've been a really lousy friend to people who are important to me. Mm. Um, last year, my husband had um, he had a he had a tough time. He was sick for about eight months last year, and I had friends who were so present and they were checking in with me every day and they were bringing by food and making sure I got my needs met. And um, this year, he's better, and I'm. So so excited that he and I are doing really well and my business is doing really well. Um, last week we were on vacation. We got to go to New York City and we ate our way through New York City. But the week before vacation, I was kind of hustling, right? I was trying to get all my bases covered before vacation. And I had a friend sort of message me kind of tentatively and let me know she was having a hard time. Um, and I, I just, I didn't respond. Um, I, it almost in the moment I got that message and it felt like I don't have time for this. Um, and I didn't necessarily want to make the time. And that is not me, Matthew, like Mm -hmm. that. I'm not somebody who ever thinks or feels about a friend that like, I don't have time for you. Um, and I don't want that feeling and I don't like that feeling, but I feel like that is an area where my balance has shifted in an, in a way that it never has before that my marriage is rock solid. My business is living up to the potential that I want it to live in. And I'm helping people and I'm taking care of people with their depression and their struggles. And suddenly I have these friends and it's not just one time I, you know, I could forgive myself for one isolated incident. This has come up a couple of times over, I probably say the start of the year when I really started dreaming bigger for myself professionally is that I haven't made the time for my friendships that I, I really 
want to make. And I, I don't always feel like I, I know how to make the time because something's got to give. And at the end of the day, I, I think I end up choosing either my, my alone time, my marriage time or my business time. And I, I really worry that I'm hurting my friends. Hmm. Oh, that's real. That's real. So, I mean, we're almost eight months when right, we're, we're, as we're talking right now, we're in August. So almost nine months, excuse me, into the year. And you said you've been experiencing this since the beginning of the year. So do you see like the, the place you hold for your friends and the expectations dropping a little bit to counterbalance the time and energy you've been putting into your relationship with your husband, which now you guys are going out and doing more things and your job, which your career, which something you're building, like, do you, do you see it counterbalancing or how, how do you, you see yourself addressing the situation? The, the first step, and it was, you know, it was so funny, is when it first happens, you sort of say to somebody, oh, I know we haven't gotten together in a while. I'm so sorry. And you get the immediate, oh, it's okay. I understand. Like, oh, yeah. you're finally able to go out and do things. And you feel like you've been given a pass. Yep. I don't think I knew at the first time I said it that that was bothering me then, that I didn't want to be the person who says, I'm so sorry, um, I can't make time. So what is starting to shift, um, and it's only, I'd say, really only since like the past week or so, Matthew, like I'm just getting on this now, is changing my expectations for what time with my friends looks like. Mm. That it's okay if it's just a phone call, but that I'm not going to wait for someday. I'm going to schedule it. My sister and I, um, we both have August birthdays and we always do instead of presents for each other, we spend a day together and we texted just today about like, okay, when is girls day? And my instinct was, Oh, well, your life's really crazy right now. Let's not schedule it. And she sort of said, if we don't schedule it, it doesn't happen. And it was like a light bulb moment that that's what I have to do with my friends. Because if it's on my schedule professionally, it happens. So if I want more time with my friends, I can't rely on making time. I have to schedule it. Um, and you, you know, there's this, uh, in the leadership, mod uh, world, there's some talk too about like you, you schedule your priorities. Yeah. Um, you don't prioritize your schedule. Yeah. And it's so funny. Professionally, I've nailed it. I, I schedule the articles I want to write. I schedule my coaching sessions I want to do. I schedule interviews like this with you, but I haven't put my girlfriend on a schedule in a really long time. Well, now they're starting to get added to my schedule and I can, I don't think I'm, I'm going to be right with myself or right in the relationship relationships until I've sincerely apologized for not being available. Um, but I think that I'll, I'll be doing better by the end of the year. Uh, so it sounds like you, you're doing a couple of things. You know, you said owning it, owning the fact that you, that you haven't made them a, you know, as a priority, a priority like they were in the past. And then you got into some of the effective things that you were doing in your business that were working. You started to implement them in the friendships as well with the scheduling. I like that. And I, I think that's the way a lot of people can learn how to manage life challenges, that if you're struggling personally, more often than not, you have a professional skill you can lean on that translates. And the same thing in business is that if you know, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day who's talk, was he's a manager and he was telling me about this over anxious employee. And I said, well, you have a kid. Have you ever had a kid wake up in the middle of the night scared to go back to sleep? And he's like, yeah, that's my life right now. And I said, well, what do you do? And we walked through it that he lowers wow. his voice. He uses shorter sentences. He, he says more encouraging statements. I said, that's the same thing you can do with your nervous employee, because at some point in time, you're still telling your kid, Hey kid, you got to get back to bed. Yeah. You're still having accountability, but you're also offering the nurturance. And I, and that's how I walked him through it. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. You know, cause there, there are a lot of people out there listening who um, have achieved some sort of success. Like they've put a certain set of skills to work in an, in an area like career and it's worked out in their favor, but then they wonder why other areas haven't worked. And it's like, well, you've you've excelled at your career. You've been able to communicate with your team so you can do it. Now it's just doing that with, you know, your family and your, your kids or those relationships that you feel are suffering. So being able to translate all of those skills, I think is great. I call it tuning into capability mm. that if you can tune into what you're capable of, suddenly you're able to do it. Oh, I like that. Tuning into capability. 
Very cool. Well, Heather, this has been this has been a really fun, full conversation. I mean, we packed a lot in in, in just under an hour. And um, again, I appreciate you extending it a little bit. This has been great. Oh, good. I, I, I enjoy talking about this stuff. And I, I am so grateful to have the opportunity to uh, talk to you and get to know you as well. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, as, as we come to a close, I do want to give you uh, the ability to do two things. Um, I want you to leave us with a takeaway, just some something that we can walk away from your story, your experience. We can put in our back pocket some sort of tool. Um, and then I also want to I want you to let people know how they can connect with you, how they can get in touch with you. Um, and learn more about you. So those two things. Sure. The first thing that I, I would want to tell people is that when you're trying to decide what it is that's actually going to make you happy, the tip here is to stop it. Like you have to start ignoring the critic that says, but you haven't gone to school yet, but what will so-and-so think? And do you really think you can do that? Because if you start at the obstacles of all of the things that are going to get in the way of making you happy, you never get there. You never figure out what actually is going to make you happy. You've stopped at the obstacles. So what I always teach people is get really clear on what it is you want, no matter how big, bold, brave, scary, challenging it is. And then we'll move to the how. Then we break it down to how do you how do you solve the obstacles? How do you get the money? How do you find the time? How do you have the conversation? How do you learn what you need to know? But if you don't get really clear on what it is your dream is and get comfortable saying it out loud, you just never get there. Um, and if people want to have that conversation with me, they can find me easily at choose to have it all.com. All my information, all my links to social media, my blogs, my articles, the freebies that are attached to the articles, they're all there. Mm. Awesome. I will, I will have links to your, your website in the show notes. And um, I love that takeaway, you know, the, the what and then the how. I absolutely love that. Um, Heather, this has, been, this has been fantastic. and I've a- I'm, It's lighting me up. I'm so excited. <laughs> this has been a fantastic conversation. I, I, I loved it. it. Loved it. Very cool. Well, I have one <laughs> final question for you, Heather. Question is, sure. do, do you have it all? I, I think I do. Once I figure out that thing with the friends, um, it's I'm not going to be right with me until I figure out the balance with the friends. But other than that, I am well on my way. Um, I, I feel really good about where it's at. I, I just have some conversations with friends I need to have first. Mm, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Heather, thank you so much for, for coming on the show with me, for being real, being transparent, downloading and dropping your genius. I really, really appreciate you. Thank you. Ah, thank you. This has been fantastic. Two quick things before you leave. First, did you know that the Having It All podcast is a part of the Fireside Network? Yep, we are one of the esteemed shows that calls Fireside Network home. That means if you ever want to listen to a show outside of iTunes or Stitcher or whatever your favorite podcasting app is, all you need to do is visit firesidenetwork.com and under shows, select having it all. From there, you can access all the episodes, see the show notes, learn about my guests, and more. Second, I am very excited to announce that my brand new website is live. Visit MatthewBivens.com and you can learn more about me, get plugged into an accountability group, and pick up some free content like the Abundance Benchmark. I am all about helping you not only identify what your ideal life looks like, but also helping you on your journey towards it. I want you to experience more abundance and love in your life. So again, you can find out more information about all of that great stuff at MatthewBivens.com. Thank you once more for listening to the show. And here is to you having it all. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved, Dadages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgle. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Dadages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.